Hi there and welcome to another Oslo podcast from the 24th annual ANZIC CTG meeting held in the beautiful town of Noosa Heads. My guest on the podcast today is Ben Gelbart. Ben is a paediatric intensivist at Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne and has an interest in research and data science in intensive care and is currently completing a PhD at the University of Melbourne. He joins me today to chat about his recent paper focusing on corticosteroids and inhaled adrenaline for children with severe bronchiolitis. Ben, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Todd. Ben, can we just start with a little bit of background about severe bronchiolitis, what its pathology and how important an issue it is? Sure. Look, bronchiolitis, up until several years ago, was one of the leading causes of admission to paediatric intensive care. And it's about 27% of non-elective admissions to paediatric intensive care. Uh, however, the disease is mostly a survivable disease. It, it, it's a, an illness, uh, a viral-induced illness, which causes wheezing in infants, generally less than 18 months old. And it um, is a disease of the lower airways and causes tachypnea, fever, um, need for oxygen uh, and wheezing. And, you know, clinicians who work in emergency departments, general practice, the wards and intensive care will be exposed to children with bronchiolitis. In the um, the study that you've published just recently tested the role of nebulised adrenaline and steroids. What's the rationale for this intervention? Well, the the rationale is that the disease causes a bronchospasm and inflammation of the of the lower airways, and so there's mucus production, and it really sits on a, a similar spectrum to asthma and croup, which are similar inflammatory, uh, infectious, viral induced illnesses, and and corticosteroids and and bronchodilators, both beta agonists and adrenaline, have been investigated over many decades in, di- in various formats and various regimens. Uh, and so because the disease is predominantly an inflammatory and uh, illness-causing uh, wheezing, uh, that's the rationale for using anti-inflammatory and bronchodilator therapy. Was there any evidence to support its use up until the point that you did this study? There's been no similar study performed in children admitted to the intensive care, but the major study that triggered our uh, trial was a Canadian study performed in 2009 in the emergency department, and that study compared the combination of dexamethasone and adrenaline to either agent alone to neither. And it showed that in an unadjusted analysis, there was a reduction in hospital admissions at seven days. But after adjustment for multiple comparisons, that wasn't as significant. But that triggered uh, at our hospital some uh, clinical changes on the wards and ultimately that triggered and there was uh, some uh, disagreement, as I understand, of of just implementing the results of that trial. And so the, the next most logical thing was to perform a study and so we contained it to children in the intensive care. As I understand it, that uh, controversy extended to international guidelines too. Yeah, in fact, there's an enormous amount of international guidelines on bronchiolitis and the majority 
recommend against bronchodilator therapy or many of the pharmacological therapies like hypertonic saline. However, there are a bunch of clinical guidelines that say, look, if you are going to consider pharmacological therapies such as corticosteroids and adrenaline, to consider it um, applying it in a trial setting. And now this um, trial has just been published, so congratulations to you and your um, co-investigators. Can you tell us about that trial, how you went about it? Sure. Uh, we, uh, in terms of the sites that participated, we had four sites, two of them in Australia, two in New Zealand. So um, Simon Erickson in Perth uh, and the two New Zealand st- uh, sites were Auckland uh, Starship Hospital with John Beck and Brent McSherry and Middlemore Hospital, which is a small hospital to the south of, of Starship. And, and, of course, our hospital. And uh, we, we aim to include children who had at least uh, their first or second episode of what we clinically determined bronchiolitis, and we randomised them to either standard care, which generally includes respiratory support, sedation, nutritional support, uh, or we randomised them to uh, the combination of steroids, most commonly prednisolone, and uh, nebulised adrenaline. And, of course, the intervention group also received standard care. And they were enrolled within four hours of admission to the ICU. And so that was really challenging for both families and us as researchers and clinicians. And then we continued the therapy in the intervention arm until a point where clinicians determined they no longer needed positive pressure support. And then the trial therapies were ceased or the control group um, were then considered uh, wardable in a sense. And we measured their duration of positive pressure support as well as their length of intensive care stay. Just on that, Ben, um, tell us about the therapy in the intervention arm, um, how it was implemented. So the intervention was predominantly based on the intervention we would apply for conditions such as croup and asthma. So at there was an essentially an induction commencement type loading dose of corticosteroids, which was either dexamethasone at 0.6 milligram per kilo per dose uh, with five half-hourly adrenaline nebulizers if they were tolerated and the heart rate remained in an acceptable limit. And then beyond that, we continued eight-hourly prednisolone one milligram per kilogram, and four hourly, at least four hourly, nebulised adrenaline. And that continued uh, for the first three days and then it uh, reduced in frequency beyond that. But, of course, once the child had reached a point where the clinician decided the child was able to be discharged, all therapy stopped. So tell us about that endpoint. Um, how did you go about that and what was the, the one that you chose? Yeah, so we chose duration of positive pressure support because, and that included high-flow nasal prong oxygen as well as CPAP and mechanical ventilation. The other thing to consider here is that when we started this study, high-flow was just sort of emerging in the, in the landscape of managing respiratory illnesses generally, but also in, in bronchiolitis. And so initially we looked, we wanted to investigate whether um, the intervention uh, had an impact on the duration of CPAP 
mechanical ventilation, but because high flow was emerging, uh, we sort of incorporated that into positive pressure. And we chose that because it's really the, the best, and well, it's really the only, in my opinion, significant clinical marker that's relevant to clinicians, it's relevant to families, it's relevant to the healthcare system, and that's in the absence of any other real uh, measures of uh, measure outcomes. Uh, you know, there are you know respiratory uh, score indices out there that have been looked at previously in when researching and investigating different interventions, but we felt that this was a, a clinically relevant um, outcome. And what were the results that you found? Yeah, so the primary outcome, uh, the geometric mean of duration of positive pressure support, was 39 hours in the control arm and 26 hours in the intervention arm. And the uh, the ratio of that was 0.66 and uh, was clinically significant and statistically significant, sorry. And uh, the importance about that as well is that that's, uh, a considerable duration of time difference in the sense that, uh, you know, a few hours here or there may not make such a difference to uh, the patient necessarily or the healthcare system, but this is almost a at least a, an overnight, you know, 12-hour shift in, in the intensive care, and that potentially has implications, positive implications. And there seemed to be some interaction between the therapy and a, several of the uh, subgroups. How should we interpret these findings? Uh, well, the two important um, subgroups that were that had a statistically significant difference were those with um, RSV, so respiratory syncytial virus-induced bronchiolitis. That's the most common virus causing uh, that illness. And the duration was almost halved in the group that had uh, RSV. Uh, and they, the proportion of children who were RSV positive were 54% in the control arm and 65% in the intervention arm. So a considerable proportion of the population. The chronic lung disease group, uh, the intervention actually showed to prolong duration of ventilation compared to those that didn't have um, a chronic lung disease. But there were only 13 children in the whole cohort that had chronic lung disease. And so comparing the median of six versus seven children with chronic lung disease, um, it's a small population. So I'm not entirely sure how to interpret that uh, outcome uh, other than to say that it's a very small population within the subgroup. A very small subgroup within the total population. What about for the most severely unwell of um, of children? Yeah, so that we consider the most severely unwell those that required CPAP or mechanical ventilation. And in that group, the intervention also seemed to halve the duration of positive pressure support, uh, which is a really key finding. Having considered the results and, and looking back at um, how the study has gone, what do you feel the limitations of the study are? Uh, look, the main limitations uh, that we came across was that uh, we, we didn't have a placebo-controlled trial here. This was a pragmatic design and 
because we wanted to compare the intervention to the standard what currently happens in the management of bronchiolitis. And so in that sense, there is a potential for bias, particularly when you have a primary outcome that is determined by clinicians. However, practically, just being around the trial on our unit over the years, I didn't really get the sense uh, that the presence of the study interventions actually influenced clinicians' decisions. Of course, you can't exclude a subconscious bias, but uh, I didn't get the sense that it had a major influence on, on clinicians' decisions, but they're clearly the most important uh, limitations. And the other um, considerable limitation is that we only, our consent rate was about 50%. And that was because, the you know, we enroll children within four hours of admission to the intensive care. And so that was, as I mentioned previously, it was particularly challenging for all involved. Uh, and it prolonged the duration of the study because we required uh, individual patient consent. Uh, and so uh, that just low consent rate was a, uh, a limitation. And uh, the, other, the other consideration was that we didn't have a, a prescribed guideline for weaning into, uh, respiratory support positive pressure support. And so we left it up to clinicians. That's what happens generally in, 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 uh, in, gen in practice. And so we, we adhere to what generally happens in practice in a pragmatic fashion. Did you notice that there were any uh, complications? That's obviously a fairly aggressive uh, therapy for many patients. Were there any side effects noted? The, the most common side effect we noted was tachycardia. And in fact, there was more tachycardia in the control group, uh, we looked for things like hypertension, hyperglycemia, uh, and there wasn't a high proportion in, in either group of those. The important consideration of those who are having adrenaline nebulised through a ventilator circuit, because as you know, if you nebulise just to the oropharynx, the absorption is, is quite low. Comparatively, if you're administering directly into an endotracheal tube, there's a risk for a higher dose. And we did have one episode of supraventricular tachycardia in the intervention group that uh, was self-limiting. But and we decided that if we we decided to maintain that dose, but were mindful if we had any other issues in relation to the nebulized adrenaline or, or, or profound tachycardia, we would reduce the dose for uh, direct administration into the endotracheal tube. So, Ben, the ACID test is often asking the investigators what they would do in their own environment. What is uh, your current standard? Well, prior to the study, uh, we, 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 there, there wasn't a lot of use of corticosteroids and adrenaline in this context. Uh, of course, uh, we spent a long time um, using it in the study context. But... Uh, we interestingly, I presented the study to our group yesterday, and the general consensus was that look, this is a well conducted randomized controlled trial and it has a positive outcome. And so, within the limits of uh, applying the therapy to those children who are the sickest, who are requiring intensive care, that we should implement 
the intervention to that group. Now, I think it's really important here to state that, you know, applying this to those in the emergency department, those in an ambulatory setting or a ward setting, I think is uh, complex and I wouldn't advocate that in the first instance uh, because the therapy itself, rather intensive, uh, and so um, the applicability of the findings outside the ICU, I think we should be guarded against that. Finally, Ben, are there any open questions that arise in this area for you? Look, I think the the next question I think about, well, look, the intervention uh, clearly reduces, has an impact on children with severe bronchiolitis, but whether that treatment regime is excessive, uh, not not excessive, but that's the highest dose, so I guess a dose-finding question comes to my mind. But I think to conduct a study like that, particularly in the current era, is going to be extremely difficult uh, because in the COVID period, at least at the moment, the reduction in cases of bronchiolitis has been evident. And uh, I think it took us quite a long time to conduct this study. And so I wouldn't be (laughs) game to perform a, a study again, with um, comparing doses. I think it was a very um, difficult study to conduct in the context that it was, Uh, but that's one consideration. Ben, congratulations once again on publication of the manuscript and thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. You can hear other great interviews from the ANZIC CTG conference here in Noosa, as well as hundreds of modules, podcasts, journal reviews, quizzes and articles by downloading our free app. Search for My Osler wherever you get your apps or visit oslercommunity.com.